Hi, I'm Siobhan Hunt and this is Kindling Conversation, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. Just a quick note before we get into the next episode. If you haven't already, I'd love you to rate and review Kindling Conversation wherever you get your podcasts or if you enjoy the episode, share it with your friends. All right, thank you and on with the show. I want to start off with a statement, something that I saw posted on social media. It is uh, recent. It's from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare. It's, a, it's just one line, but it's devastating. It says, domestic violence is the greatest health risk factor for women aged 25 to 44. That is over and above anything like cancer, other communicable diseases, it's domestic violence, the greatest health risk factor for women between 25 and 44. So on International Women's Day, we thought it's appropriate to talk about domestic violence and its impact on families with young children. And I'm not saying this in some airy-fairy sort of highfalutin story about someone you don't know. It's, it's not that kind of story because the chances are you know someone who has experienced domestic violence from a current or former partner. You just have to look at a mum's Facebook page to hear about incidents that sound like clear examples of abuse. Lisa McAdams is an expert in domestic violence who advises corporates on how they can create supportive environments for those experiencing or leaving domestic violence highly. Lisa, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. You're speaking from a place of experience. How old were your children when you left their father? When I finally left for good, my daughter was 13 months and my son was just under two and a half years. Which is incredibly young. But I just want to pick up something in that sentence. You said by the time you finally left. What, what was that process like? Did it mean that you tried to leave and then you didn't or...? When I finally left for good, it was my sixth attempt. And the average is between 7 and 13, which being very competitive, I do like the fact I'm (laughs) just above average. Um, But I'd actually left him when my daughter was only two months and my son was 18 months and went back because it all seemed daunting, overwhelming. I thought I could manage my life better in the marriage than out. Can you explain what your daily experience was like living in that house with your children? The best way I can describe it is literally if you expected there to be glass under everything you touch, everything you touch could hurt your your children and you're on edge. But it was all about power and control. So if he was controlling me financially and psychologically and verbally, that was fine. But then I'd get to the point where I had enough and puff myself up and say no more. Then he would remind me physically, have you forgotten I'm in charge? But he only used it as a reminder. And like I like to say, like people say, it's about drinking and drinking's part of it. But in my relationship, he loved to party. He loved to drink. So if he was drinking, they were good days. He would come home happy, pass out. It was when he was put in a situation where he couldn't drink. Was it? confusing for you? Were you able to identify that this wasn't normal? To be honest, when I I became aware that it was dangerous, and I mean really dangerous to stay, and I was, you know, you know when you say if you do something at the right time, the stars are aligned? 
I did it because I told someone and they said someone close to you needs to know what if you need to run in the night. So I just knocked on a neighbour and it was a neighbour that would pop in if I forgot milk. As luck would have it, if luck is the thing to say when you're in that situation, her daughter had just come out of a refuge. So she knew exactly what to say, what to do. She let me look things up on her computer so the history wasn't on mine. She hid a key where I knew it was. So it was about then I was sort of aware, but I still thought she was, you know, because her daughter had been through it. She's a bit exaggerating a bit. People get over, you know, people like a drama. And then when I phoned 1-800-RESPECT and they put you in touch with a refuge, I literally felt like I was applying for a job I wasn't really qualified for. So I was talking it up and talking up what I was going through. But by the time I got to court for an AVO, they talked about words like the most extreme case of domestic violence they'd come across. So if I can be in that, and now it's obvious, I'm like, how could I have not known? But it wasn't obvious when it was in it. What was the penny that dropped? You said that you you actually went across, you told someone who wasn't close to you, you went and spoke to your neighbour. Was that the start of you finding a way out? I think for me it was a slow beaten down process like I'd leave him and then and it's not unique to me at all what happens they put you in the position where I'd left him even before we had children and obviously I was the one that was homeless so I moved in with a friend but then I didn't have a lamp but then he goes oh let me go and get you a lamp you haven't got a car and then slowly 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 they become your rescuer and you're caught in this pattern and then obviously when you go back in the cycle you're in the honeymoon lovely bit And you forget, but every time, like I went back to England and I came back and I knew, like he'd promised to go to therapy, he'd promised this time was different. But I knew, I remember saying to him, next time I leave, it won't be a conversation we have, I'll just be gone. And in my head I was going, well, where would you go? (laughs) How could you just leave? But somewhere in my core, I didn't know how or when, but I knew that was true. If he didn't change... If it didn't change, I would go and then it just deteriorated and deteriorated. And the thing that happened for me and happens for most people, every time you go back, the promises get higher. But you've said that bar's okay. You can treat me that bad and probably go lower than it because I've just said that's acceptable. Mm. And I'd said that so many times and taken so much. What was acceptable wasn't safe. For me, it was the slow realisation of, what was happening and I remember standing in the kitchen and my one-year-old was on the floor and I was holding my baby and where we lived was beautiful it was absolutely beautiful and I was looking out and I remember thinking why is the world so beautiful if you were meant to live in such an ugly but it wasn't like something now I wasn't supposed to look but to me it was a really confusing question if you're supposed to be this downtrodden and miserable why would the trees be beautiful And it was sort of a realisation that what was happening in my life didn't reflect the world you could be living in. When I think about your experience there, the thing that really sounds obvious to me was how isolated you must have been. I mean, you can feel isolated when you have a young baby and you're in a happy relationship and a supportive relationship and a non-abusive relationship. Um, Were you isolated? Was that part of the problem as well in recognising that this situation wasn't tenable? Part of the problem for me and many, many people that go through it, obviously, he was, you know, 
I'm from England. He took isolation to a whole new extreme. But even we lived in the inner west and then we moved out because I needed more space. But what he didn't like is I didn't even need a car. All my mother's group was just, I had this support network. And then we'd moved out and then he'd take the car and then you couldn't get there with two little children. So you were isolated. And then you're not telling people your experience and then it just grows. And then you'll tell one person and you're only getting their perspective back. They might say, well, what's wrong with that? But because it's their normal as well, doesn't make it normal. Yeah. And then you think, well, I've tried to tell people. When you finally decided to leave, what was that like for you? Because you did go to a refuge, is that right? Yes. Um, This is a really good description of how controlled you are in your mind. I was actually talking to the refuge and she was telling me what you do, what's the best to pack. She said to me, I can't hear you. What's going on there? And I said, oh, I'm just um, putting the washing on. And she said, why? And I said, he's going to be so angry if there's no shirts for tomorrow. Like I was still in that frame of mind. I can't leave because what's going to happen if... And she said, Lisa, I really, really genuinely think that's the least of your problems right now. Oh, my God. And I was still like, oh, I'll trust you. And then one of my neighbours helped me get ready. Um, And I still kept saying, you know, to these tiny, tiny children, don't touch that, don't leave that there, don't make a mess. And then my neighbour got like 48 wheat bix and just tipped them out on her bed. And she went, go on, you two, go for it. And I just remember standing there and it was the first time I'd seen them just stop and laugh. And then, but even then I was like, do you think we should clear that up before we go? And she said, I think you need to just go. And then I knew from the minute he stepped on some wheat bix when he came in, he would have known because I wouldn't have dared. Right. Would not have dared to leave a mess. So he would have known from there. Did he try to follow you to the refuge? He did all sorts of things. Like he started sending me letters daily because he knew I'd redirect my post. So he just sent them home. I was lucky because he was like texting and texting, but they took my phone off me and a friend gave me a pay-as-you-go. And that that obviously worked because that was the last time you left, was it? Or To be honest, it's again... Being in the right place at the right time. I remember being in the refuge and there are amazing places that rebuild your life and do all the things you need to do. They know who you need to call, where you need to be. They're experts in getting your life reset. But with two babies, it's nobody's choice. I mean, even who'd want to sleep in a backpackers with people coming with babies. But I was in the kitchen and this there was this 11 and 12-year-old sister's just chatting to me while we were in the kitchen. And they said, this is a really lovely refuge. And I said, is it? I've only been in one. And she said, yeah, she said, we were, um, we've been in six. And then they sort of forgot about me being that age and had an argument whether it was six or seven. And they said, do you know the one with the purple curtains? And I just had a moment where I knew if I didn't stick it out that time, I couldn't guarantee I'd never bring them back. But I was ready to go home that night and, and, and put a better plan together. I have no idea what a better plan would have been. I've had 12 years now and I still can't come up with a better one. <laughs> yeah. But then I thought, this is horrible for my children. If I go home, regroup, it'll be fine. And then I listened to them and their mum wasn't someone that wanted to take them back to their situation. She was going back to regroup. And that moment I just thought, I have to stick this out however hard it gets. I have to make this work this time. 
You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Lisa McAdams, who's an expert in domestic violence. She also advises uh, corporates on how they can change their cultures to be more supportive for those who are experiencing or leaving domestic violence. And her work and her passion comes from her own experience. And the reason I've asked Lisa on the show is because she, when she left her partner, she had to very young children, and I guess it's about talking about the reality of the situation, how difficult it is, but how you can do it. So, Lisa, you you did make that decision when you heard those two girls speaking. You decided to stick it out. What does stick it out look like in those first years? It's really difficult. It's, you know, and for me... Like, he was so controlling, but I came from a very controlling family as well. And I'd never really even looked after myself. And suddenly I'm responsible for two children. But there is that feeling, like, for the first time in years, having my own electricity bill. Do you know what I mean? It's hard and it's tough, but there's a feeling that you're heading somewhere not... Are you telling me an electricity bill was actually a good thing at that point? (laughs) (laughs) I still try and pretend they are, but you mean that it was in my name. And even because I had no access to money, even if you couldn't afford your bill, it was you phoning and saying, can you put me on a plan? Is there some way I can pay for it? But I was in charge. Whatever was in the bank, if I needed milk and bread... And maybe there was only enough for one or the other, but I got to choose. So in some ways, and like I got a lot of support from the refuge, but it's that rebuilding day by day. And I'm not going to, you know, I don't want someone, because I don't want someone to say, I've been doing this a year, it's supposed to be easy, it's easier to go back. It takes a long, long time. But really from the get-go, I really felt like I'm going somewhere. And really, for someone that's been through it, accepting what you've been through is horrendous and tough. And don't expect yourself to just rebuild a life in a day. And it's that stepping back and going, I survived. And I say now when I'm in corporates, I show them a picture of me in it. And I run marathons. And I show the picture of me, the marathon runner, and then obviously the whole PR photos I've got now. And people look at my business and they go, oh, my God, you travel and run marathons. That's amazing. And I go, no, 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 no. Those two things, doing them on the same day is easy. That woman there that looks not so good, that's the one that knows how to do it tough and find the resources, which really once you can survive living in it, living out of it is easier because you haven't got anyone working against you. Um, and, of course, now your children are older looking at them now and deciding then like if you could go back and say to yourself when you were having those doubts what would that what would you say to them about your life now and the children now yeah I remember we all and it was only about three years ago we all had the flu like we all three of us were really ill and I was feeling really sorry for myself because I don't have any family and we'd moved again and I had no friends near and I'm just really sorry for myself and then suddenly I had this moment that if I was still married what if he was coming home? Kids as well. I would be, I know you're not well, but we need to sort this out. And there was just junk. It, were tissues. it wasn't, you wouldn't have wanted to come for dinner, <laughs> shall I say. But it was my choice to get up or to not get up and clean up or not clean up. And 
I'd been waiting for this. You know, was I going to do a bridge climb? Was I, you know, this moment when I got it, I was going to do something. And I just suddenly looked round my house full of flu at these two children laying on the couch. And I thought, this is the moment I was waiting for. This freedom to just be sick and no one wants to hurt us or punish us. What would you say to someone who's sitting at home and has some kind of feeling in their stomach right now listening to this going... I think this might be me. I think this is my situation. What would you say the very first step is for them? I think the first step is to start to find someone you truly trust. That you'd, And if you trust one person and they're not supportive, find someone else, whether it's a helpline. The first person I told was the community nurse after I had my daughter. And she just looked at me and went, that's domestic violence. And I was like, whoa. But tell somebody, find someone you trust. And remember, if, life, if, if, if you feel it in your gut, then trust yourself. And you've been taught not to if you're in an abusive relationship. But if your gut is telling you this is out of whack, then you're not exaggerating. You're not being a drama queen. And if all those things are being said to you, if you're truly not in an abusive relationship and you're that scared all the time, then you need to get help anyway. And your partner would be encouraging you. So trust yourself as much as you've been taught not to and just reach out for help, but safely. And get a safety plan. Okay. Well, we'll put up some links on our website as well. Lisa, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you. That's Lisa McAdams. She's an expert in domestic violence. And if you know someone who's experiencing or you suspect is experiencing domestic violence or you yourself are getting that feeling in your tummy right now, call 1-800-RESPECT. It's a 24-hour hotline to support people impacted by sexual assault, domestic or family violence and abuse. So that number again is 1-800-RESPECT. Where the beanies? Get your child off screens and into their imagination as we explore how bubbles are made. What's in a sneeze? Achoo! And what's with the weather today? Professor Know-It-All knows. Hello, beanies. Hello. The, the beanies. beanies. A podcast just for kids. Subscribe now on iTunes or listen anytime on the Kindling app.